listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Hello, One of Us listeners. My name is Nick. You may recognize my voice from One of Us shows such as The Screener Squad, The Final Watch series, and occasionally The Breakfast Pub. Recently, I ventured into the world of audiobooks and created my own production company, Mercs with Mics, which so far has been quite successful. The bad news is that's a little too successful for me to actually keep up with the workload on. So I'm looking for some freelance audio editors to help me out with some basic editing. Things like editing out flub takes, loud breathing between dialogue, and the elimination of clicks and pops and other artifacts that might end up on the audio. Payment would start at the rate of $70 per full hour of edited audio. I'm also looking for narrators, with a decent home recording setup, and at least some previous experience in acting. If you are interested in either of these positions, please contact me at mercswithmikes at gmail.com. Thank you for your time, and a special thanks to all the listeners who support oneofus.net and keep this wonderful site going. You make me proud to be one of us. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber-supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net, keep the site and all of our great shows going, and get some terrific bonus content as well. Welcome to Digital Noise! Digital Noise! Back with Aaron again. It feels like it's just me and Aaron on the show lately, because this is like our fourth <laughs> show in a row or something. Poor John, even like I hadn't seen him for a while, and I just handed him this stack of like 15 movies. He's like, oh, whoa, hold on, what? And I'm like, it's okay, I can take some off. He's like, no, I like a challenge. <laughs> so the next show will definitely be with John. But Aaron is here, and I'm always happy to have Aaron here in the house. He is Aww. so enthusiastic about doing this. I am. It's fun. It's it's your little escape. It's, it's, it's my escape from having two kids and a crazy job. Yay for movie therapy. Well, I'm so glad I can help. <laughs> and I feel like this week, it's a weird selection of movies, but it's kind of the tail end of the October halloween yeah. type collections. So there's a lot of stuff on here, but not all that falls into the horror yeah, selection, and, and, certainly. And there's a lot of stuff that I haven't seen before that has been on my list for a while. Um, a couple of classics. And it's uh, a lot of okay. <laughs> it's a lot of, eh, it's okay, but not just okay, but honestly, I think one of the greatest horror movies ever made, I would easily put it in my top 10, is an Amer American Werewolf in London, and now Arrow is putting this thing out, I mean, obviously it's been Which, on Blu-ray before more than once, but Arrow- has Arrow put it out before, or am I thinking of Shout Factory? As far as I know, Arrow has not released this before, okay. uh, but this mm. is- been exclusively restored by Aero Films. It's presented in its 185-1 aspect ratio with both mono and 5-1 sound. Um, it is a brand new 4K scan. So that it this looks is great. This is as good as it's ever looked up to the, until we get the Superman crystal like Fortress of Solitude video. This is as good as and it's gonna this get. This is actually my first time to watch it beginning to end in a single sitting. That's exciting. Yeah. And how is it watching it in a linear form? Like it's 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 decent. Like 
So I, I'm not going to argue. Like this is one of the quintessential werewolf movies. It's one and, of the quintessential horror comedies. And as, as a yes, it is also that. And as a werewolf fanatic, I, I love the idea of it. It's a really slight movie, though. Like, it's pretty small. There's not a lot that occurs because it is such a quick thing. Um, I, I will throw this out there really quickly that I think that although it's a far worse movie, I think American Werewolf in Paris oh, actually boy. has a better story. No. Um, no. <laughs> because it has more antagonists and a little bit more I, drama going on. I can't believe you were willing to say that. On yeah, that. yeah. Fuck it. I'll go to the bat for it. You, you, um, you, you guys... It's a worse uh, movie, though. But I'm anyways. not going to call out any commentators if they want to call him out on that one. This is indefensible. Indefensible. But, uh, like, it, it, I, I really did enjoy it. The makeup work is amazing. It still has the best werewolf transformation of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is legitimately funny. There is some questionable stuff in regards to uh, gender equality, considering that the female character is kind of, she's basically a sex object. But aside from that, like, it's good. I mean, the kills sex were good. object is a little strong. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's a love interest, but that's about it. She to prop up the main character. Yes, exactly. I was going to um, say, <laughs> this isn't Bachelor Party. <laughs> that being no, said, like, Jenny, you got her. I had such a huge crush on her back then. But, like, day. it's just, it's a movie of this time, and that's something that you get anytime you watch a horror <laughs> movie of this era. Sure. Uh, but, like, it's good. I, I legitimately recommend it. I think people should watch it. I think... I'm always just a little disappointed because this is one of the Hallmark werewolf movies mm. and we as werewolf fans deserve better werewolf movies. This should be a great werewolf movie, but man, I wish we had even better than this. I think it is a great werewolf movie. I know. I can think of almost nothing bad to say about an American werewolf in London uh, other than, like you said, the thing about Jenny Gutter, but come well, on, man, uh, they don't know. Uh, honestly, my, my <laughs> only legitimate complaints about it that as a film is I want more. I, I want more story to happen other than guy gets bit, turns into a werewolf and goes mad. Right. Like, I mean, I, I want there to be more story beats to it. And John Landis was not trying to set up the beginning of a, uh, of a franchise right. films films. He was trying to make a one-off horror comedy that does work both as a comedy and as it a does. horror movie. There's some genuinely laugh out loud, funny stuff in here. I mean, the story with David Naughton and Griffin Dunn or best friends are going hitchhiking across the moors of Europe as you do, I guess not me. Cause I've seen yeah. this movie and I know, <laughs> uh, and they, although I think that they've seen this movie and they also know, right. Cause they are so self-aware in that opening. Well, it's delightful. Yeah. Uh, they get attacked by a werewolf and, uh, David Naughton survives. Griffin Dunn does not. And throughout the the movie, we see Griffin Dunn continuing to visit David Naughton, saying, look, you've been bitten by a werewolf. You're going to turn into a werewolf. You're going to kill everyone you love, so you should kill yourself. And one of the bits is, as he appears, each time he appears, he's more rotted and, like, putrefied than before. Because at first, he just looks like just like he did when he died. Yeah, big claw marks down his face. But by the end, he's like a walking corpse. And the like, makeup work is... Corpse. Just jaw-droppingly phenomenal. Oh, it's terrific special effects in this movie. Like I said, the 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 where like you said, the werewolf transformation. In this no one's ever topped it. It's like, after I, all these years. I, I feel bad. I I really do like this movie, and I think that everyone who is a fan of horror and horror comedies, and if you're even a little bit of a fan of werewolves, should check this out. I just 
I, I just want more good werewolf movies is what it is. Well, it, the werewolf movies have always been one of those nuts that have been super hard for them to successfully crack. Like, There's a few really good examples. This is still always going to be the king. But like Ginger Snaps, I'd say, is way worth seeing. Well, that's the thing, um, like, Dog it, Soldiers is way worth seeing. I, I just grabbed... Blood Moon, which I've never seen, and I'm intrigued to check it out. I feel like I've seen that, but I yeah. never can remember. But like, I, I feel like the best werewolf movie of all time should not be a fun, goofy horror comedy. Right. <laughs> like, it should be a, a bigger, better film. And, like, look at Vampires. They have so many great movies. And as much and so. as there's so many great atmospheric things and, uh, like, ahead of their time effects things in the original The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr., it's not a really fun no, movie to watch. It's not. It's not one of the best. In my, I know people are like, <gasps> I don't think it's one of the best of the universe. No, I, I think it's well regarded as an okay one. Yeah. And even the recent remake, like, there's a lot I like about it. The gore is great. The effects are great. But it's also not a great movie. It's, it's got a lot of issues. Well, so aside from the fact that I think this is totally well worth if you've never seen this this should be definitely on your bucket list of Agreed. movies you have to see before you die and you're not going to be bored at all this no. movie it moves super fast it's really fun it's really bizarre at points and it's got werewolf nazis it's got werewolf nazis in a nightmare <laughs> sequence but um this is a really nice package they've got it's one of those things because arrow they send me pretty much everything they put out but they just do it on the white disc and every once in a while it's one of those god i wish i got the whole package because yeah. the package for this one is so nice with uh a, the chipboard slip box type with really cool new cover art a pamphlet sized booklet with issue essays and data about the film a folded mini poster um six postcards with the the thicker card stock um this is a really cool set, but besides that, there's a, an, including lots of previous extra features because so many people have re-released this. It's just such a classic whenever it regularly comes up for rights for a year and then someone else picks it up and re-releases it. But like I said, this is the best one so far with, uh, one with the, it's got the auto commentary with the two actors who get attacked by the werewolf in the beginning, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn, but it's also got a brand new one by Paul Davis. Uh, there's Mark of the Beast, the legacy of the universal werewolf, which is like a feature length yeah, documentary, cool. which is way worth watching about the history of the werewolf in cinema. Yeah, I, I, as a werewolf fanatic, I adored that. Uh, there's a new interview, uh, just under 12 minutes with John Landis talking about, uh, making this film specifically the effect of making a film in England, uh, Wares of the Wolf, which is a new uh, a piece featuring a uh, FX artist, Dan Martin, talking about the makeup and special effects and costumes and props in the film. He's not the guy who did the effects, but he's a modern day guy analyzing all the pieces that they did in the film. There's then this was an interesting one. I think he's a Jew, the werewolf secret, which is a video essay about the perceived subtext of Jewish identity in the film, which is huh. something uh, uh, quite a few people have talked about in the past in this in this movie and in werewolf films in general. Uh, the Werewolf's Call is a talk between, I don't know who either one of these people are, Corin Hardy and Simon Ward, 11 and a half minute talk about their histories with the film. Uh, and then, like I said, just a ton of previous existing uh, stuff on here, including um, image galleries and yeah, original it, trailers. I would suggest that. people check it out and get this. Although I will say, fans of the show, come at me. Come at me. American Werewolf in Paris is a better story idea. It's one of the worst it's movies. It's a worse movie. It's, it's a terrible so movie that I love, but it's a better story idea. Well, let's talk about a movie that when it was announced this was coming out, Two Evil Eyes, man, horror fans were losing their goddamn minds. Because yeah. two of the best people, the most legendary people in the field of horror, George <coughs> Romero and Dario Argento, who previously had 
at the very least, kind of worked together on Dawn of the well, Dead. They were friends. You they know, were friends. They, they've never really truly collaborated, but they shared ideas a lot. And well, like I, I know Argento, he spearheaded the Dawn of the Dead release in, in Italy and, and a, and a different soundtrack in, for it, different edit yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, so like, like th- they work together, but not truly work together together. Well, the bad news is even on Two Evil Eyes, which came out in 1990, they're technically not co-directing. It is a, uh, I guess, anthology, even if it's just two it's, stories, it's a but a duology of two loosely based on Edgar Allan Poe stories, but I'd say decidedly based on Edgar Allan Poe ideas yeah. stories, uh, one of which is based on uh, facts, the facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar, uh, and one of which is based on the Black Cat, although that one also has, like, so many different... It's got the pit and the pendulum. It's got um, the uh, cask of Amontillado. That's what I was thinking It's of. got a ton of stuff in it, like, that's referenced. Um, with Adrian Barbeau as the lead in the fa- uh, facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar, and Which Harvey is... Keitel as the lead in The Black Cat. And The Black Cat was done by Argento, and the, the other one that you keep saying, and I can't Valdemar. Just say Valdemar. Valdemar. That is George Romero. Right. So here's yeah. the fun part, is that... I far prefer Dario Argento as a filmmaker, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. I like his movies a lot. Well, you haven't seen his later stuff then. No, no I have not. I, <laughs> I, I know. I know well enough to stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> his, don't ever watch his Dracula, no, is no. all I'm saying. Uh, I think like there's a point. It's like 1983 or 5. There is a point that you can watch everything he makes up until that, and you don't watch anything after. Right. But uh, I didn't. I could not stand his black cat, but I loved the George Romero bit. Okay, so I tend to agree with you on this, and it's weird because people do tend to really like one and hate the other in this. And generally speaking, this wasn't wildly well-received at all when it came out anyway. It didn't get great distribution to begin with in either Italy or America, but it's it's got cool effects, it's got some cool ideas, but... Especially the first one feels like a fun entry in the creep show movies. Well, like totally, so, which Romero did anyway, but it has that feel of like it's campy, it's fun, it's got like like it's got it's got creep show type monsters, oh. and the second one is just kind of ugly and, well, so and like mean. The, the first one it gets big. Like it's a very intimate story. There's only like four characters in the entire piece, but it's one of those things that backdoor pilots its way into being a world ending event. And those are really cool. And, and I will admit, uh, I, I famously on the show, if I keep saying this, I don't tend to read the backs of the movies. Mm-hmm. I like to go in blind. Didn't realize this was a duology starting it. And so the first one moves so fast. Every scene, there's a new and interesting development mm. and it plays. And then you get to the Dario Argento one, which it's got good actors in it. Harvey Keitel is is a legend. Who famously, apparently, all the crew hated him on this well, shit. I don't know what was going on, but apparently he was the world's biggest prick. No, I've heard that he is not exactly the most fun person to work with. Mm. Especially when he's playing a dick. And especially around this time. Right. Well, as but, Robert Pattinson said, have you ever noticed how method actors yeah. <laughs> always seem to only method playing assholes? You <laughs> yeah, never see them method like... method plays a sweetheart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, so it, it's this story of a guy who's slowly going insane and getting more and more violent. And the black more cat. And more the Arge- Argento yeah. one, yeah. But... He's like he, dating... He never sells it. 
He's like a professional photographer, and he's uh, and he also works for the police as a police photographer. I thought he worked for the news. Um, maybe it's the news, but I, I either way, tell. he goes to crime, gets called into crime scenes, yeah, has a relationship with the, the cops. But he's also an art photographer. He's married to, uh, or not married to. He's dating and living with a model, but who's like a Wiccan or something. Uh, who kind of hates him right from yeah, the get go, right? Who's kind of horrible, <laughs> yeah. but he's horrible. They're both pretty horrible. And she adopts this black cat, and he doesn't like the cat. So he kills the cat, and then it looks like the cat's coming back, and I don't know. It's yeah. just, it doesn't really have a lot going on. It just kind of meanders. Whereas the facts in the case of Dr. Valdemar, which I still think is Edgar Allan Poe's creepiest idea ever anyway, but takes it and puts it in a whole new setting and, and adds to his story. The original story being where this guy's like, who's a mesmerism expert, says, I wonder what would happen if someone died while they were under hypnosis. And the thing is, even though they're dead... They're still hypnotized, so they can't pass on. So they're yeah. still talking and stuff. Uh, so taking that idea with Adrian Barbeau being married to the super rich old guy, and she was the hot young thing, and uh, she uh, Which he's I have dying. To tell you, I've, I've never understood. You have to see her like she was. I mean, this was a little later in her career when she was younger. You can I've, see I've it seen more. her when she was younger. It's yeah. just I, I've never found her like as as like somebody you're like. I mean, she was no Barbara Crampton, like yeah, how she was enough. for me. Right, or now even I've, Linnea Quigley. Now that I've gone full pig, please but continue. She's also <laughs> a really, I thought, a really uh, decent actress for her. Yes, she is. Um, So uh, she, the doctor who's taking care, or I'm sorry, the lawyer who's supposed to be dealing with like stuff as he's dying, basically has hypnotized the dying guy into signing all this stuff and being able to say on the phone, like take commands. Yes, I am leaving everything to my hot, young wife which my, is not my gold digger wife yeah which is not what he actually wants to do but the thing is the guy, guy dies under hypnotism and then he won't die which what's funny is that bit about them trying to take the money bears zero into the plot itself other than kind of why they don't immediately tell everyone about the guy dying and then stuff continues on and gets more interesting like that one i think is a legitimately great idea i kind of want to try and find just the george romero bit because I will rewatch that one. Okay. No, no hesitation. Yeah. No. It's it's the the first one is totally worth watching. The second one is just meh. meh. Um. And the first one has some really cool effects in it too. You know what? The second one has one great gore scene at the end that I thought That's was true. really cool. Uh. And and a cool way of killing the the bad guy. Yeah. I thought. Anyway. So this the blue. Uh, you guys might have heard me talk about this before on the show, and and because we did. Even through Blue Underground, who re-released this like a two years ago or something. Well, this is their re-release, but now it, from a 4K master. So, which they've just recently been reissuing all their stuff, remastering from 4K. Zombie, for instance, the New York Ripper. We covered both yeah, of those re-releases. Yeah. This is a new one with a cool lenticular. Stop fighting cats! I really want to start quacking at you right now. <laughs> a cool lenticular cover. No, we're not doing New York Ripper. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's a cool box. It's better looking than it was before. Uh, the, the movie itself and the extras here are, I believe, on the whole, the stuff that was on the previous one. I'm not entirely sure. I think there might be one or two, but there's a lot of new stuff that's in here. And it also, unlike the previous edition, comes with the soundtrack on a separate CD. And it's a cool soundtrack. It's a good soundtrack. Yeah. There's a 20-page uh, illustrated booklet as well. I mean, the only one of these extras I watched this time, and I think I watched most of them the last time, but the only one I of the two Blu-rays that are here, because one is just the, the movie itself, because it's a really huge amount yeah. of data for 4K remaster. It has an audio, a brand new audio commentary on there. But, uh, 
of the other stuff, which uh, let's see, there is a few new ones. There's before I wake a new interview with one of the stars, Rami Zada, who talks about his career. I mean, like some, there are new interviews on here, but all of them are with like people who aren't the people you would necessarily want to see the big interviews with. Like there's no Harvey Keitel or anything like that, you <laughs> Probably know, because he's like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's people on here who are smaller than the others, the composer and what have you. But the only thing I've watched in here, I don't, I, I had even seen before cause it's fun is Tom Savini goes on a 16 minute tour of his house, showing off all the props oh, and cool fun. stuff he has from movies, which is fun. But no, this is, I mean, like I said, it's well worth watching if you're a horror fan, um, it's not as good as you'd hope it was yeah. going to be. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe you'll dig the Dario Argento one more than we did. Well, I got to tell you, I was super excited to see Arrow was putting out the Ringu collection on Blu-ray. First off, these movies have not been available on Blu-ray. And by That's the way, true. I say Ringu, I learned something new watching the extra <laughs> features on here. Ringu was a translation mistake for an American re-release of the Japanese The Ring. It, they don't call it Ringu. They call it Ring. What, was the, it a translation mistake? Or was it somebody who was kind of racist who just, you know what, throw a U on the end? Kind of like you just throw an O on the end for Spanish? Apparently it was an honest error. Uh, and uh-huh. it was, it was uh, I believe they were called Tartan Video. Who yep, for a while I remember had their, them. They the, put out a lot of uh, Asian cinema. Yeah, they had their Asian extreme line. And yeah. they were way into it. They were the only place <laughs> in America you could see a lot of the films like this for a long time. But, you know, the no, no Ringu Blu-ray. Anyway, we can just call it Ring. Even though this collection, having that information on it, still chooses to put the U on the cover. Yeah, it, it, it was really hard to Facebook which of these I was watching. Because not only is it Ringu here, Ring there, but some of them also go by different titles completely. Like, one is Spiral, but over there it's Rashad. Well, or, okay, so part of the conf- so- part of the confusion is is because... There, this is based on a whole series of books. Yeah. Right. Uh, which are, were very popular before the movies ever it, even came out. In fact, there's even was a television series that came out. Damn it. Before the movies. Did. I was going to point that out that there was an adaptation of Ring that came out first that was the Ring, well, it was Ring, but with lots of boobs in it. Yeah. There's like six or seven of the books and they go some seriously wacky places. And here's the thing, like we all know when we think about the ring, most of you all have probably seen the American version but by by uh Gore Verbinski, but have not seen the original Japanese version. Yeah. Which I think is well worth watching, even if it's a lot slower and, it, and it's methodically a different paced. Feel. Yeah. It's I mean, a far more methodical movie. I mean, than it's definitely like the the American one really takes the whole level of the uh you know people going into newspaper offices and looking through microfiche to find out clues and stuff so like, like it expands on that aspect of it significantly more than the Japanese here's one. Here's the thing, in my opinion, and we can talk about the rest after this. The biggest thing this franchise suffers from is that the American remake is the best movie in the entire franchise. I I, t- I tend to agree, and some like, people would be like, <gasps> yeah, and, and and I know that, but like it's it's. Th- Gore Verbinski at his best when his style fit well. Um, the kills are a lot more interesting looking. I will like, say it's, it's him and his doing knocking out of the park. That being said, though, right? Like, like, let's just put that aside and let's talk about these movies on their own. Well, and you know, it's. I don't want to even go so far as to say like I give it full credit for the sheer originality because a based on a book b the book took almost everything in it from folk tales from previous movies yeah. it was all I mean there's an extra feature on here that goes into the whole history of Japanese horror but starting from folk tales and painting artwork and stuff and moving its way into like black and white film silent films and everything and you're like wow so this whole tradition of like first off the 
the the art or media device that's cursed somehow and sets a timer is not the first thing that did this. Um, not even close. The 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 wronged woman thrown into a well with long hair that hangs over her face. Yeah, not it, the first a, thing to do it that. Well used <laughs> Japanese folklore. So too. I mean, Ringu was just the one that made it like almost an. And just you could not separate it from the Japanese identity for ten years. I mean, when you went, if you went to Japan during the period which these films were insanely popular there, there was like the way things are. In one extra in here, they're talking about the effect of it on in in Japan. They're like it's like the Avengers is now in the sense that you could buy ring fucking everything. Like people who love these movies love to go to thrift shops in Japan because there's like ring ringu ashtrays and toilet seats so and weird. all sorts of weird merchandise, which, which is. It's weird because like so like ring the the very first ring if you've seen the american one it, it is the basic story uh it begins with uh two teens talking about how there's this tape and if you watch it you get a phone call and you have seven days to live and at the end of seven days you die yeah um something and, kills and, and we we watch that play out and we watch someone die and by the way what I think is the creepiest sound design maybe in horror history in that opening bit of the Japanese one. Mm. It is the one thing that that holds over the American remake heads and tails. And lo and behold, the person who dies was related to an investigative journalist and the movie tracks her and her, her college professor slash tech boyfriend or ex-husband yeah yeah. um as they investigate where this tape has been what's happened and before long she actually watches the tape and sure enough gets a phone call and it ends up being this race to solve the mystery of what happened to sadako so that they can hopefully not die at the end of seven days she also has a creepy son who was as far as I know, the beginning of the creepy kid trope and like that resurgence of it, where the kid was always pale with a little short. Well, you're thinking like the Grudge, yeah, the yeah, Grudge, the and, and the Grudge came out after this, but not by very much. No, no, like, they, not they, even they were, like a year. I they don't were think. neck and neck. Yeah, but yeah, and so it, it tracks them as they investigate the murder, the events that put Sadako in the well and gave her knee length long hair. Um, and it's it's a mostly good movie. It, it Benefits from the fact that it has very clear rules and it does a good job of sticking to them. Uh, the actors are all really great in it, even though the husband is a little bit of a dick. Uh, he, he rubbed me the wrong way. It's very much a, oh, this is a Japanese film in the 90s when sexual politics were different. But it's a lot more methodical, as you said. It's a calmer film than the Gore Verbinski one is. And... It, that took me the longest amount of time to get used to. I kept waiting for it to get flashy, and I had to keep reminding myself to step it back. Right. And, and But yeah, like this is a good movie. It's it's only failing grace is the remake was better. Yeah, I agree. And it's well worth seeing. And there's parts in this I think are genuinely creepier than anything that Verbinski does. And I think the reason for that is because Verbinski took what a chance that I don't think paid off, which is the idea that his Samara, rather than Sadako has a television staticky look whenever they're appearing in ghost form. Like they still are a television yeah. image and it's cornball. It doesn't work. But strangely enough, I think, and I promise we'll stop talking about the American remake after this. Um, the dead bodies look so much creepier in the American one because they didn't 
like in the Japanese ring, they just have the people look scared. But in the American one, they had the great idea of making dummies and contorted their face enough to where, yes, they clearly died of fright, but also Not their normal. mouth is so wide open that you can't do that. Yeah, normally. that first shot in the American ring where they find the body, you just see the flash of it from it. You're like, ah! Yeah, and it's like in the Japanese one, everybody freaks out when they see the first dead body. And I was yeah. like, uh, okay. And unfortunately, I watched the American one like last month, so it was fresh in my mind. So I've been like someone who's never stumbled across a murdered person before. Yeah, yeah. You tend to freak out. You tend to freak out a little bit. We'll we'll say I haven't stumbled across a murdered person. We'll get to the sequel that came out at the exact same time, literally the same weekend as the ring they bought they made a they got a whole different crew of people except for the actors yeah because it's it's, the same actors for the sequel like uh called that they called uh um raisin or which translates to spiral which is the name of the second book in the series which very closely follows the second book in the series but we'll get to that Uh, nobody liked it I mean, it was widely hated in Japan. Like, they were like, fuck you. We loved the the ring. We want a proper sequel. So they decided, fuck it. We're going to ignore that movie entirely. And we're going to make a sequel that actually follows the events and the tone and the feeling of the first film. Again with the same actors. Again with the same actors. I'm really intrigued to hear what the husband who is a major actor i wish i could remember his name because he's he was in sunshine i'm pretty sure uh Um, yeah hold on he's in a ton of stuff he's Um, a major japanese actor and the the husband's girlfriend and it must be uh, hiroyuki sonata um you he was um he's been in a bunch of american films as well he He was he was in the wolverine the last samurai 47 ronin he's going to be playing apparently scorpion in the new uh mortal kombat reboot he's a phenomenal actor yeah like think of how weird it must be in a two-year time span to be in three ring movies that are all different (laughs) Uh, so the se- the the proper sequel, which I completely concur with the Japanese, Ringu Two is way better than the initial version of the sequel. Although I I, I want to talk about the initial sequel. Too. Okay, we'll get to it. Okay. But, um, so it's basically the the body of Sadako is retrieved from the well because the first movie solves the mystery of like who was it? Who yeah. is this ghost? Where'd she come from? Well, they find out. They get her body. Uh, they. A big thing is that of them revealing, holy shit, somehow she stayed alive in that well for 30 years. She wasn't actually dead. And yeah, it's like established- her body is dead, but not rotted at all. Yeah, but well, they said she she wasn't dead for thirty yeah. years. Somehow she lived, and she's like revealed, especially more so in the the the, the last film we'll talk about in the series, Ringu Zero, the birthday, that she's deeply like should have been in Charles Xavier's school for gifted music. Yes, she's like way psychic. Um, so th- they're trying to figure out what the deal is with this and with her family and what actually happened. Well, at the same time. The main girl from the last one movie and her little kid are missing. They just don't know where they are. Everyone's looking for them. Uh, they know that her boyfriend, the actor we were just talking about, it has been killed. They find a videotape. And of course, the dumbasses end up watching it, as you do. Like you do. Uh, and the problems start all over again. And it's revealed they find the son. And it looks like he's got... He's developing psychic powers a lot like Sadako had, like very powerful psychic abilities and has a lot of anger starting to build. The one thing I have to point out, we we mentioned the videotape. The one thing that every Ring sequel 
on the Japanese side does right is that they just dump the formula yeah. immediately. Like, this is not a retread where people watch the movie and they try to solve the crime. Like, the videotape, for all that it is still essential to the plot, almost doesn't really matter in well, this. Well, in this one, the videotape is almost like treated like a forensic object yeah. where they're taking it apart and trying to analyze it and figuring out what makes it work, how does it have this effect, because they all know it has this effect, what makes it do this, and it gets into some serious ghost busting. Yeah. Like, there's stuff like they try and trap Sadaku's well, spirit in a swimming pool using, they, like, electricity. They handle <laughs> it with a scientific bend, which I always geek out whenever we watch a horror film that goes in and is like, no, 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 ghosts are real, it's measurable, there's an energy that we can detect, and here's proof of it, and now we are going to handle this, there is no spiritualism here, this is science, bitches. Right. And it, Ringu 2 very seemingly ends Sadako as the villain of the series. It's like, yes, and now there's somebody else you should be watching out for. But as far as I know, that's the last film that is really continuous in the story going forward, I don't think they ever made a sequel that really directly addresses the events of Ring no. 2 as as a sequel. Now, there's a prequel, which is in the set, Ring Zero, Birthday, which goes back and shows young, sexy Sadako yeah. as in who? her college years, who is very introverted, but very beautiful. She's she's wants to get into theater and having some amount of success, largely because people who are in her way keep mysteriously dying. And it's, you know, revealed that she has psychic powers, but she's not, not malicious. She's not trying to hurt anyone. Well, and, she's a sympathetic character until she isn't. I, I had issues with the Ring prequel because... The movie... So basically, yeah, she's developing these psychic powers. Weird shit's happening. People are dying. It's basically Carrie. And it it is Carrie if all of the people weren't outrageously evil. Because, like, Carrie... What it did right is everybody around Carrie was a horrible, evil, cruel human being, except for one. And so that made the that made them the villains of the piece and Carrie the misunderstood person. Yeah. Whereas here... They don't really do that. Some of the people are straight bad. Some of them are just kind of superstitious. I mean, there's the one character who's the really sympathetic guy who genuinely has feelings for her, but he tends to never be around when people, everyone else is like, just ridiculous. I mean, for people who are like grown ass people, like, being like just malicious to this level. Well, and it's like, like Jesus oh, Christ. weird shit happened. It must have been Sudako because she's yeah. strange. Yeah. And it ended up being kind of upsetting from a, is this how they treat their mentally ill people in Japan? Like, right. Oh my gosh. And there is something about like, this is decidedly the slowest of the three in terms of like, anything on screen's like really creepy happening. I mean, even when people are dying, most of it is off screen. It's not scary at all. It's not till the last 20 minutes or so that this movie gets creepy. And then it gets really, it is a really great third act. Yeah. It's just before then there's nobody sympathetic and it doesn't stick with Sadako and builds her out enough for her to be the central figure of this movie. The guy kind of is more of the main character of the movie almost. If anything, only because she barely ever talks. Yeah. But she is treated as the sympathetic character who's like, you know, I mean, the idea is you can't have that kind of a tragedy of this ghost who's that angry unless she was truly wronged. And she was no question truly wrong. She was. It's (laughs) just that I wish that the movie had not made the, the victims as... 
kind of disposable. Not, like, like they, sh- they should have been more outlandish and more evil because then it would have been a more interesting story. Or just found a different setting for it to be that way. I mean, or I'm not, not sure she, there's troupe. any reason for her to be in a theater troupe. I mean, I like there had to have been a better way to do well, this. And I spent half the movie weirded out because I could have sworn she was a high school girl. Right. And then she's a woman in her 20s. It, it, it felt like a movie that they had an end point that they wanted to get to. And everything was built around getting to this endpoint instead of everything builds around telling a good story. Well, this is actually based on a short story that's considered to be part of the Ring universe that was written by the guy who wrote the original sure. books. He put a whole series of short stories that were collected Ring stories, basically. Um, and so they picked one of those you know what? called Lemonheart to adapt here. This would have been a great short story. I can see that working. Cutting almost all, like, a good half of it out, and this would have been a really great little tight short story. But I will say, there's something that immediately is removed from the creepiness of the movie when you take this iconic horror character and make her a sexy 20-something. Yeah. Uh, which we'll get to even more so in a second yeah. here. But, um... Overall, I don't think The Ring Zero is terrible. It's like, it's just kind of okay. okay. And okay. then it has this great, like, last ending. Oh, yeah. Like, the, there's this bit where, what, her where arms the and bodies are start actually dropping. Yeah. Which it feels like a scene out of an X-Men movie where a villain comes in and is just like, nah, I'm going to fuck everyone up in this room. Yeah, I actually really enjoy the end of this. Uh, but then lastly, we have the the redheaded stepchild of this set, for, Which, to be sure. So I'm going to say this before we get into it. I think on paper, this is a great idea for a movie. Okay. So uh, this is this is Spiral yeah, or Raising, the one they filmed and released at the same time as Ra- the original this Ring. This is that the other sequel hated. to The Ring. Yeah. So it also takes place shortly after uh, the first Ring movie. Where the husband is dead, except um, also the wife, or the main character and her son from the first movie die off screen in a car accident before the movie starts. And the main characters of this movie are a medical examiner who for some reason is treated as a detective and the girlfriend of the husband from the first film. And so he is brought in because he was buddies with the husband to investigate the body and because, again, for some reason, he is treated as a detective, he gets wrapped up in this ring mystery and inevitably comes to possess the tape, watches it, and it goes a bit differently from there. It and does. And so uh, uh, I'm willing to spoil this part. Instead of getting a phone call where in seven days you're going to die, Sudaku crawls out of the TV and kind of rapes him. Yeah. Like... Like, Sadako just, just needed to get laid, I guess. And Well, that's the thing, is the movie turns her from this creepy undead ghost girl to an object of sexual desire. Well, and, and, and makes also, her, makes like, her like, like, seductive. And I'm like, they clear, there were clearly no conversations between and, these two different directors. And she's and kind writers. of a mustache-twirling villain. Yeah. And it gets weird. Yeah, she's like... There's lots of... There's some body swapping, and there's possessions of bodies. Yeah, there's, like, the there's, insinuation that, like, it's not even supernatural. She's actually a virus. Like, yeah. Like, she Which is a biological virus. Could be cool. Yeah. Like, it's, there's part, some neat it's part ideas. of that scientific application to this. Yeah. And, and then it gets to... Uh, clone people are being born and then they're making other human beings. Like I would and, totally watch Cronenberg make this And, and at <laughs> the end, 
uh, Sudako and somebody else who is dead are back and kind of are dressed like they're in the Matrix. Yeah. Planning to take over the world yeah. with their evil ghost babies. And it's fucking weird. It's batshit insane. And but it's all, but like, unfortunately, it's, it's also boring. Yeah. Like you think that we're describing a great movie because it is, I swear to God, Dude, it's if shot, anybody else made this, it would be amazing. It's but shot it's like so Red bad. Shoe Diaries. It's just has this made for TV look to it. And, you know, it's just like, it's really slow. In the very beginning, there's some cool stuff. And I was like, awesome. I can't wait to see yeah. this. And then nothing else cool happens. And, well, and, like, and also, like, you mentioned that it's Red Shoe Diaries. And you also told me about how it was like this softcore movie. And so when I was hearing about the first Ring movie that had all the nudity in it, I thought that's what I was going to see. There's no actual, like, nudity in this no, either. But it, the, it, it's not, you don't even have that part. But you are, you're almost like, I feel like this is, a, it feels like one of those late night 90s like Skinamax softcore films that someone cut the actual nudity yeah. parts out. Of. I'll give you that. Yeah. But it mysteriously has the same actress who plays the girlfriend in the first and other ring movie and the same actor who plays the husband. It's yep. weird, man. It is weird. Now here's the thing. Like, like I said, these are a mixed bag, but they're definitely, except for possibly the one we just discussed, all were very much worth watching. Agree. I, I think they're they're all decent films. I think the first one is kind of a classic. I think the second one is just as fun as the first one, maybe even more fun. I would agree. As it's well. not this... as as well made a film, but it's definitely just as well, fun. The second and th- the I'm not even going to talk about Spiral. The second and third movies they suffer from. The opposite of what the first one did. The first one had such clear cut rules. You always knew what was possible. And because the second and third ones kind of just say fuck it, it makes it to where when anything weird happens, you just kind of go, okay, cool. You don't, you never really know what the limitations are. And I think they suffer for it. Well, across the set, and they are, I believe, going to sell the film separately as well. The first one is just Ringu. Which uh, with an audio commentary by critic David Collat, which is good. Uh, there is a uh, the Ring Legacy, which is well worth saying. It's about a little under a half hour, which is basically talking heads talking about the cultural effect of these movies. Really interesting. There's an interview with Kat Ellinger, who's one of Arrow's standard like people they go to for these things. A vicious circle where she talks about Hideo Nakata, the director in the entire Ring series. There's a uh, circumnavigating Ring, which is a essay. With her talking about once another critic talking about all the all the different ring films and their effect, and then if you want to have just the actual ring video, which by the way, once again, the American version is better. Thank you. Um, okay, good. They they have just the video that you Although, can watch. Uh, there's image galleries as well, and that's just on the first one. Uh, on the second one comes with Ringu Two and with Spiral. On I, I have disc. to tell you the little story when I was watching this, I I, w- I watched the first ring when I was home alone. My wife had to go to a thing. My son was with my parents. So, like, I had the evening to myself. I was like, I'm going to watch The Ring. This is great. And afterwards, I went, you know what? I'm kind of curious. I want to watch The Ring video because I remember the American one being better. And I put on The Ring video. And about 10 seconds after the video stopped, I got a call on my cell phone from an unknown number. Ah, And now, granted, it ended up being just like a telemarketer. But holy shit, for about eight seconds, I, I kind of feared for my life. Dude, I was, I, what, all right, so I used to, uh, 
hang out at this video store, Vulcan Video in town. It was like, I was, I lived right near it. I was there all the time. I was there so much. I would be like, just uh, having so much fun just looking through all the videos that I just became the unofficial sco- store extra employee. Yeah. And after a while, they just took off charges off my account. They're like, just don't charge him for anything. He's, uh-huh. he, when he's here, we don't have to work as hard because <laughs> he goes around helping all the customers. <laughs> he knows more than we do about a lot of this stuff. But I was like, when they got the ring in, I was like, I was willing to pay them money if they would wait till later that night, anytime someone rented it, and then call that customer with a <laughs> seven days. <laughs> uh, all right. So the, the Ringu and Spiral, Ringu 2 and Spiral has, uh, Spook Size and Videotape, which is a really cool piece by expert Jasper Sharp talking about the, the history of J-Horror, which is way worth seeing. There's a 21 minute, very just sort of like not terribly well organized behind the scenes featurette with candid footage, uh, del- seven minutes of deleted scenes. Then, uh, I'm sorry, that's the Ringu Zero one. Ringu Two is the one with Spiral and that has the, Absolute must-see The Psychology of Fear, which is an archival interview with the original Ring Arthur uh, author. Like I said, a lot of the extras on here are like, if you like Japanese horror, they're kind of more about J-horror and the history of it and the effect and the meaning of it than they are specifically about the ring. And I think that this is kind of an essential set in understanding the J-horror phenomenon I agree. in general. Uh, watching, I watched the first one with the commentary as well, and I ended up going and like adding six or seven J horror movies to my must watch list. Like honestly, this is this is a worthwhile purchase for anyone, I think. The the only thing to keep in mind is just that these movies do feel very different from the American remake because they don't have Gore Vervinsky's, you know, beautiful style just slathered all over it. Well, our next film is from China and is based on horror and fantasy elements, uh even though I believe the actual uh, novel was written by a Japanese author, but that this is loosely based on. Huh. But um, that makes it, sense. It's called Legend of the Demon Cat, and if you guys know me, you know there was no way I was not gonna not watch a movie called Legend of Agreed. the Demon Cat. Of course, it's, it's a period piece in the Tang Dynasty in China. Uh, this cat that is just adorable, and I want to love it and hug it and wish it was mine. You mean uh, this really bad CG cat? Yeah, <laughs> but I don't care. It's a demon cat. It can talk. That's all I, that's all you had to say. Fair enough. Uh, is like appearing and it's causing trouble and you're like, what's the deal? And it turns into sort of like a mystery of like, who is this demon cat and trying to figure out like, what is this cat so pissed off about it? Cause it's starting to murder people in the royal court with using magic and what have you. And it's these the scholar and a, 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 a poet and who, who is, kind of a badass in his own right and a monk who is completely yeah, a badass a Japanese monk. yeah Japanese monk teaming up doing the procedural quite frankly the ring thing they're well, investigating they're... the history to figure out we need to figure out who this cat is and why they're angry in order to stop they're it. doing Sherlock Holmes like, yeah I, I don't know what it is but Japanese not Japanese Chinese filmmakers seem to really love Sherlock Holmes because every movie you give me from China <laughs> they're either Hong Kong action movies like Detective D or they're period Sherlock Holmes movies yeah the Detective know? D series there was another one I forgot we had recently yeah, yeah. but um this is one of the better ones I've seen lately I thought 
I thought it was okay. I mean, don't so, like, get me wrong. It's no masterpiece, and the, 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 the CG effects are lame, so, like they almost always are. But. Here, here's what the movie does right. I have never seen a movie that has sets as beautiful as this film. Mm. This movie is gorgeous. The locations they have, the sets they build, whether or not they're doing CG, shooting on location, or building these from scratch... It is worth watching almost just for the locations. Uh, there is a really good style to it. However, <coughs> A, I'm really tired of Sherlock Holmes adaptations in China. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, a little strong. Wait, 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 which, is, which is unfair. But it is also way bloated. Uh, the movie is halfway about the cat and why it's doing what it does and then there's at one point where they do a 35 minute flashback that makes the movie entirely about the creation of a poem okay i give you that and, the flashback sequence goes on for way longer yeah, than it needs to. Like, like, it never has a driving push of a narrative to like pull you through that and so it just they should have cut a half hour out of this movie and it would have been far better. It just, it feels too big. It's this, there's this weird trend. You say detective films. I call them, they're like detective wuxia films because they're not really committed to either. Well, they're, they're somewhere really in between. This is but it has wuxia elements. Film. People like, have magic abilities and they can do magic stuff. Like there's even a character in here who's like an illusionist. He's like, no, it's just illusion. God, You're which, like, that is not possible. I, I gotta tell you, illusion. when he showed up, I got so scared because almost every one of these I see, the end result result is nothing supernatural it's just it's all an illusion right Stuff even though it never exists yeah, it's like and, like that well what's the name of the the one with david bowie playing tesla uh, 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 the, uh, uh yeah the the you know what i'm talking about it's uh, the prestige yeah yeah it's where that. i'm like that always irritated me because here's a film of, about illusionists and in the end they're like it's magic except it's science so it's not magic yeah. and you're like yes but that's not real science it's, so the, therefore the one thing it's magic. i could at least say for this movie <laughs> is that at least the cat is an actual demon. Because halfway through this movie, I went, man, if it's just an illusionist at the end, I'm going to be pissed. But he's a sympathetic demon. He, he is a sympathetic demon. The story he's idea adorable. is cool here. It's just that they needed a better editor. And they needed someone to punch up some of the sequences. So either it was more enthralling mystery or a better action movie. Something to tie the two together. Uh, oddly enough, because this is a Chinese film and I have a Chinese woman living in my house right now, I showed it to her too. You really and, sh- should let her go. Sooner or later, the FBI you know, is going to find out. I mean, like out. the cops don't know. And <laughs> we don't care about immigrants here, so it's okay. People don't mind. But she watched it and she she kind of said everything that I did. Although... Funnily enough, with it being a Japanese book that it was based on, she came to me and went, you know, it's weird. Like, all the stuff they did, it felt more based in Japanese lore than it was in Chinese. And it was. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, even though made by China. And what really, maybe the first Chinese film I've seen in like five, six years, that the Japanese guy character in it was not the bad guy. You're right. Yeah. yeah it was. I was like, huh. Like, I mean, if if you're into these kinds of movies, if you enjoy... Chinese period films that are not action movies. This is up your alley. And and if you do, watch it on Blu-ray, watch it on a big TV, because it is gorgeous. So our next film is a festival film that I saw at South By, and I had so completely and utterly forgotten about it that here it is, same year as said South By. And it was I was 20 minutes into it before I was like, oh, I did see this at South By. And I get it. This movie tone deaf. I get oh. why it has its supporters, but I remember coming out of the theater being pissed and going, man, that was fucking 
like it was trying to be all these things and it and it kind of ended up having the exact opposite effect of what it was trying to do and making me angry and the guys with the really i thought it was really good i'm I, like go fuck yourself <laughs> I, I kind of hated this movie i i this was like i said my second time even though i didn't didn't remember until like well into it seeing it the first time so i don't think i there's a point where i was like okay now i remember what yeah, happens so, in it so it wasn't so, as so basically uh a millennial. It was, it was very tone deaf, which yeah. is the only reason so, I can think to call it. A that. millennial parody is having a shit time and loses her job, and decides to go stay at an Airbnb run by a boomer parody, who has decided that he doesn't have any joy in his life anymore. The only thing he's never done is to murder people. So he kind of slowly falls his way into being a slasher killer in this movie, killing everyone as it slowly circles this millennial parody. And it ultimately builds up to a climax in the house where they have a big to do. It it's wants so badly so to be funny and the clever. actors in this are great. Well, yeah, I mean, I will say, Always had a big crush on both for her talent and just, she's just, there's something, she's one of those je ne sais quoi yeah. actresses, Amanda Crew, who Agreed. you guys probably know from Silicon Valley. Sex drive for me. That's why. Sex drive. Okay, fair enough. I know from my own sex drive. That's, <laughs> um, but who plays said millennial. And then, of course, Robert Patrick, Terminator yep. 2, T1000, uh, T1000, playing the older boomer guy. I mean, literally, this movie was five minutes too late to find a way to sneak in an okay boomer joke into oh, it. Oh, I so wish they had ended on that. But so, like, the actors do the best they can. But the problem is, is that this script is shit. Like it is just a terrible script that is unfunny and it, it tries its best to, to take apart the millennial culture while at the same time picking fun at the boomers. Yeah. But it ends up just being angering because it feels, it feels like the boomer is preaching at us the entire movie and we just get to watch the millennial be a really shitty human being. So it, it's just not enjoyable. I agree. Um, I, it just, it's trying to do all these different things and make them funny. But this is one of those movies that you feel like, like a guy, like the movie is that dude who is sitting at a bar and he's probably got like neck tattoos. And, He's a big fan of South Park. But, but went to film school for, for two years before he dropped out and is a big fan of South Park and, and feels like he's – always feels like he's the smartest guy in the room yeah. and is just smirking at you constantly just the whole time. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, dude, you're you're nowhere near as cool as you think you are. Yeah. You're just kind of a – you're a forgettable jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you completely. Um, and I kind of felt that way about this movie, which is a shame because, like I said, I like both the leads and they're both really trying. <coughs> Inexplicable thing. They never make any sense where Robert Patrick, like, I'm like, oh, does he have a YouTube show? Because he keeps breaking the fourth wall well, and, and, and he's the only character who breaks the fourth wall. And he's like hallucinating and the hallucinations are visually interesting, at least. Like, yeah. You can tell that there are some kernels of good ideas here of visualizing the boomer fear of a changing world. But the problem I think ultimately ends up falling is that the millennial is such an unlikable parody as well that it, Who are you it supposed feels to root like for it here? doesn't have a point. And then her mom comes in towards the, more towards the end of the film and she's like also a, a parody of boomer well, stuff, she, but a different a, type of boomer. She's a hippie boomer. Yeah. You know? and I'm just like, I don't get this movie's no. sense of humor. It has these broad caricatures that make all these characters unconvincing. And, but none of the jokes are 
have anything to say. Yeah. And they it acts like it does. And it's like, no, you're not really saying a thing. You're just kind of watching him, making me watch a movie about thoroughly unlikable people. Yeah. And it's who gives sh- a fuck what happens to them? Um, yeah, I did not care for this movie at all. I'm glad I to see you're on there. Uh, next up, we have Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, which, much to my surprise, I kind of enjoyed watching. All right, so let me ask. Have you seen this one before? I don't know. Okay. I think so. So I saw... I was of an age that I saw both this and the original in theaters. Uh huh. I mean, I definitely saw the original. I far prefer the original. See, I remember thinking the original was super dull. Like, this is not fun. It's kind of stupid, but not stupid enough. So, like, this was kind of the shot across the bow for McGee as a director. Yeah. He had done previously music videos before this, and he made these two Charlie's Angels movies, which are music videos. Yeah. And they adopted the Matrix outlandish action, but without the conceit of the Matrix itself to justify it. Or anyone skilled enough to know how to shoot it. Or anyone skilled enough to know how to shoot it. And so, this movie is which good god try to explain the plot but uh, it, it's no, there's no reason to go deep inside of it basically <laughs> there's a villain a villain turns who's who is uh they're trying, trying to, steal to find the knock list. a MacGuffin, which is which is like a list of of people's names it, it's it's the knock list from mission impossible right. and james bond and, and every spy movie ever and vill- spoiler villain ends up being an ex-angel play yes. played which you can totally they literally do a shot from behind of who the villain is earlier and you're like there's literally only one other character in this whole film who has long black hair that you've introduced just out of nowhere and that was demi moore and clearly you don't give demi moore a cameo for no reason because she certainly wasn't in the charlie's angels television oh, show without is- her being a somebody who's gonna refigure back into this and so here's the thing like first of all i i like mcgee I think he's made some really terrible stuff, but I think he's made some really good stuff. He's too. Made, I always say he makes terrible movies, but great television shows. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I I enjoy some of his. I think some of his films are fun. Like I really like the Babysitter that he just recently did. I, I admit um, I like the Babysitter, yeah. and so anytime we're watching an action sequence, this movie is good. Uh, and I also enjoy the first, but that's neither here nor there. Like that they shoot it really invincibly. It's crazy and outlandish. They approach it with, you know, everyone joked about Game of Thrones being what happened if like you gave a bunch of 13 year olds coke. That's what this movie is. Just everything oh, yeah. is thongs and bikinis Look, and blood. And it, it's, it's, it, it, is, it's the closest you can get to a porn movie in an action film while never showing any action movie. It nudity. wants so bad to be both woke and for 13-year-old boys yeah. to jack off to. And it kind of... I it, it just those two things are constantly clashing with each other oh. in this film because yes it's got the girls doing it for themselves Cameron Diaz Drew Bourne, and Barrymore and Lucy Liu yes they're clearly having a great time on this yeah, movie set are. like just working together it's fun watching them together but then some of the stuff they do for fun is like soap up each other's boobs at car washes and you're like well, what <laughs> yeah it, it also. You can tell that McG is still trying to learn how not to shoot a music video. Yeah. Because this is not so much a movie. This is a collection of music videos. Yeah. Every scene is set to a pop song in the background. Yeah. Every scene is cut, shot, and edited. Like, it's just, like, it's pretty a music much video. Every popular song from, from the Chemical Brothers or from, uh, oh God, what was oh God, it? The, the other... Danger Danger song. Uh, I'm trying, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the other band that was like, oh, okay, them too. Uh, well, there's like, 
like, yeah, Orbit, Prodigy. Uh, Prodigy, like all that stuff. You're like, oh my God, they're just like way putting those right into your face during this movie. And you're like, these were the songs of that era. And I feel like there's something about coming back to this now that this is actually a perfect portrait of this period of time. Yeah. And it's a good way that it's all glitz. No, it's all ridiculous style, like just ridiculous. No actual substance of any kind. Whatsoever. Uh, it's and, just, and it just couldn't be more shallow. It, it's, no attempt to make this behave to the bounds of reality or physics whatsoever. And the thing is, it's not, it's more watchable because of, all right. So you watch the first one and you're like, you're trying kind of to make an actual good movie, but you're not, you don't know how to. Well, so it's just kind of dull. From, um, the bad guy who's uh, uh Crispin Glover, right? No, the, the actual back. I'm blanket. I just talked about I him just last don't week. Remember. He was in Jojo Rabbit as the general. Um, uh, not William H. Macy. Uh, he was Iron Man 2's bad guy. Oh, he, Jeff Bridges? No, no, that was that was Iron Man 1. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, yes, uh, he, the, guy, the guy from The Wrestler. No, he was in George Clooney's... He was um, the bad guy he, in Iron was, Man 2. He was Whiplash. No, the, the guy who funded him. Justin Hammer. Sam Rockwell? Sam Rockwell is the bad guy was in the first Was he the bad one. guy in the first yeah. one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway. Whatever. I, um, I will say, I think the first one is like, it tries... It, this one goes... Why were we even trying to make a good movie? Let's just make a big, stupid fucking movie that's ridiculous and doesn't even try to, like, attach itself to reality on any level. And honestly, it's kind of the right decision with yeah, what they're the trying to do. This is the movie for a bad movie night. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's don't not, watch this alone. Watch this not, with a bunch of friends. It's not boring at all. It's just so absurdly does not give a fuck about it, anything. It, it's not good on any level, but it's colorful and expensive and filled with beautiful people and funny people. And you're like, I, I, I mean, it's the ultimate in trash the, cinema. The closest thing this movie has to a running plot, aside from the hunt for the knucklist, is that um, one of their dads shows up and instead of understanding that she's a mercenary, thinks that she's a hooker. Right. And yeah. they never actually John Cleese. Him. John Cleese. Yeah. So the entire storyline is just John Cleese making somehow progressively is, more and more horrified faces. Somehow is Lucy Liu's dad? Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's just like Bernie uh, Mac is Bill Murray's brother. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but who, and honestly, then Shia LaBeouf shows up in this. <laughs> I mean, there's ridiculously enough, a, a, a giant buttload of, of extra features. And on also, here. wait, wait, real quick. Robert Patrick is in this too. That's true. There's a lot of cameos in this film, including, uh, I forget which one, one of the original Charlie's Angels, who seems to be playing an actual angel. Like, yeah, she uh, is. Like, no, no, that was the thing. Like, they acknowledged that the show was canon. Right. This is just the new ladies. Right. And in fact, the new movie acknowledges that these movies and the show were canon really? as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. I, it's really weird. Anyway, so there's tons of extra features on this thing. There's two cuts of the film, the theatrical and the unrated version, both really only less than a minute. It's about a minute and a half of difference. I don't know what the difference is. Um, I don't think there's anything new here. I think it's pretty much all the old stuff, but it really is a shit ton of stuff. Is because this came out in the era when they that was kind of de rigor well, for put, that, like featurette after featurette after featurette on these <laughs> things. It's kind of funny that this has the unrated cut because that is also so quintessential of this time. Yeah. Because they realized if they put unrated on it, it sold more. So they would add a five seconds of footage they would extend out some random scene and call it the unrated cut yep very true uh next up we have strange but true 
Wow, this oh. was uh, probably the worst thing I saw this week. I will say that. That was not for me. Uh, really? What was yeah. that? Was it Spiral for you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Spiral at least had that sort of like, there's just that point where you just start going, what is happening? All right. All right, so this, I'm movie this movie is just like, this was a terrible fucking idea for a movie. I almost liked this movie. All right. Well, tell the plot. All right. So the movie begins Strange with but true. Uh, Strange But True. A uh, family, or at least a mom and a college-age guy who has a broken leg sitting around the house. And the girlfriend of the dead brother shows up, very pregnant, and goes, Hey, so your son's ghost got me pregnant. That's what my psych- That's what my therapist said. Not my therapist. My psychic says, here's a tape proving it. So... Do with that what you will. And then fucks off on her own. And so that is the inciting incident of this movie. And it follows these characters all independently dealing with that. There is the mom who clearly very unhealthily dealt with the death of her son and has given into nothing but rage and loathing for every human being around her and just is a horrible person. Yeah. Great actress. Horrible Amy, person. Amy Ryan. Yeah. Uh, the son, terrific. Uh, went off to New York and he's the one who kind of believes that, hey, who knows, maybe something's going on. Greg Kinnear shows up as the ex-husband who got driven away by the wife's loathing, who gets involved back in because he actually maintained a relationship with this girl. Uh, not not in that way, but just like a friendship and dealing with grief. By the way, said girl, Margaret Qualley, who just Ooh. had her sort of just broke big in Once Upon a Time in yeah. Hollywood playing kind of the main Manson playing girl. Pussycat. Yeah, playing I, the, the... I, I IMDb beat it halfway through because I was going, who the hell is Tarantino's foot girl of yes. the film? <laughs> and so like, like that's the setup. And, and the movie follows these characters as they independently kind of investigate this. The wife approaching it as if maybe this girl somehow stole sperm from her dead son, the son tracking down the psychic and like the husband coming into it played by a hapless Greg Kinnear. Yeah, like this movie would have made a good drama. I don't agree. And so I was watching the movie and going like, I'm kind of involved in the mystery, but uh, as the movie was going on, like the characters aren't changing though. Usually when you watch this kind of a movie, things happen and, and we watch how they evolve and shift and that's what makes the movie. But like the mom is still this horrible person, even in, we're halfway through the movie, what's going on? And so kind of being confused by it. And then there's a moment uh, when the third act kicks off that this movie drastically changes tone. Oh, it, it makes some choices. <laughs> and it goes, so one, this is not a drama, this is a thriller, and uh, I, I can't really go into it because it would spoil what there is of this movie, but shit gets serious, which explains the very opening seconds of the movie, which feels like a horror film, and it continues to go weird and out there, and like I was live texting this to my wife who watched and she had to leave five minutes before the heel turn happened. Yeah. And I was just going, you would not believe what is happening. So this has happened. And oh shit, this is happening now. And every five <laughs> seconds, there's an outlandish new level of what the hell. This just didn't. To, to an ending that is 
like so they cut in and actually show us the accident that happened in conjunction with the ending which makes no sense thematically it doesn't pay off anything other than to go isn't this a funny coincidence wah wah all this is to say that this is a horrible movie yeah however if they had stuck with it being a drama it could have been interesting as it is this is my you gotta watch this bad movie. Like like if you like bad movies, this goes so weird at the end. I, I mean, I didn't even find it weird. I found it banal at the end. I was like, really? Uh, That's your choice? Oh yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, it doesn't make any sense as a storyteller to make that choice, but it's the most banal church choice. It, it, it's what what and is it Charlie Cox? No, Richard Cox. I'm blanking on his name. Who what? The the, the other character who's like this huge actor who's in it. Brian Cox. Cox. Brian yeah, Cox. Brian Cox. Thank you. Yeah. Like, and he's in it, by the way, too. Like, the cast is phenomenal in this. Blythe Danner, Mena Masood. It's like a lot of great people in it. It's a it's a well shot film. Yeah. I'll give him that. Uh, it's just the, it's again it's a movie with a terrible script. I just did not care for this at all, and I found it quite dull at first. I was like, oh, I wonder where this is going. Girl says that ghost got a ghost got her pregnant, or maybe <laughs> not a ghost. Maybe somehow there was something about the act of trauma that kept her like <laughs> sperm. I don't know. But I was like, okay, but literally 20 minutes after that, I'm like, you know what? I just don't care. Can we we please get on with this? (laughs) This is not that interesting. This was a train wreck movie for me. I I enjoyed it from that point of view. Uh, And lastly, we have a movie that uh, we reviewed on Highly Suspect Reviews already. So I've already talked a lot about The Peanut Butter Falcon and my feelings about it. Um, It is now available on Blu-ray and DVD, and I'm really curious to know what... uh, Mr. Aaron Woodle thought of it. Well, this is my pick of the week. Okay. Um, I kind of love the hell out of this. So for the most part, a lot of these movies were meh. Like even the Ring movies, which I was really excited about, I ended up kind of feeling okay about them. Uh, this is Shia LaBeouf's most recent trial across the bow since he he had his... Well, other um, than Honey Boy, which is about to come which out. Which is about to come out. Well, no, like, he had his public meltdown, a la that redheaded actress who I can't name drop right now. Um, and he went away for a couple of years. And he's come back recently in these really slow-budget, interesting indies and has been knocking it out of the park with his performances. Like, I've become really impressed with Shia LaBeouf as an actor. And so the movie tracks two characters. Now that he's gotten over himself. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's gone. I, I think that he has enough money from Transformers. And he went through the I'm too famous thing that just kills a lot of careers from young people. Yeah. And then is now going, he's doing the Robert Pattinson thing where he's like, okay, I don't have to work. So I'm going to take the jobs that I want to do. Um but it follows him, who is a guy whose brother died, uh, and he dealt with it very poorly, and his life has fallen apart, and he is self-sabotaging. And to say the least. <laughs> very quickly in the beginning of the movie, he basically starts a fire that burns down an entire dock and a lot of other stuff, and the people know he did it. So he is on the run from people who flat out want to kill him. And the other character is a gentleman with Down syndrome who I can't remember his name. David? Uh, uh, Zach. 
played by, <coughs> Zach. played by actual person with Down syndrome, yes. as you might expect, because if you were an actor playing someone with Down syndrome, your career would be over right yeah. now. Uh, <laughs> Zach g- got Sagan. And so he is obsessed with this wrestling video from the 80s from the Saltwater Redneck. Tom, Thomas Hayden school. Church. Thomas Hayden Church. And so he has had repeated breakout attempts uh, because he wants to go to this wrestling school and learn to be a wrestler. And after a failed attempt, which you are immediately endeared to him, <laughs> uh, he successfully breaks out and is on the lamb, greased up and in his whitey tidies. And these two characters intersect. And right off the bat, he's a fish out of water. And Shia LaBeouf is a raging prick to him. But it is not long at all before Shia LaBeouf stops trying to alienate him and starts opening up. And and we get what is, quite frankly, a relatively traditional tale of a special needs person and a not special needs person becoming friends with each other and growing and learning how to be better people together. Yeah. And the person with the Zach becomes a more well-rounded individual and learns to be more independent and Shia LaBeouf, not quite, but mostly gets over the death of his brother and, and becomes a human being. He gets his shit together basically. So, and and it's just watching them go through this adventure while they're basically walking across Florida or North Carolina. So that's somewhere. I think you said it's largely traditional. It is definitely not breaking any new ground in terms of storytelling at all. But, what sets us apart, and this is on a lot of critics I know's like top five favorite of the year list, is just a genuine sense of warmth that you get from yeah. it. That partially, that a lot of it comes from the performance of Shia LaBeouf, yeah. who is just terrific here. In fact, I just heard this last night. Apparently, when they went, got on set, Shia was already there, and he was like all tanned and like kind of sunburned. They're like, Hey, uh, what's going on with you? It's like, I've been here for like a month and a half working all the crabbing boats. It's like, yeah. you literally don't have a scene in this movie where you go out crabbing. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> you, you made that comment about Robert Pattinson and yeah. people only method actor as assholes. Shia LaBeouf is the guy who method acts as a nice guy. Right. <laughs> well, he just wanted to learn for sure how to be at what you would, he wanted him to, to look like he would if that's he what he d- did. Oh, like this. And he's, he is tremendous here. The Zach who playing Zach is, is actually really great and heartwarming. There's just a whole series of very likable, good performances. Dakota Johnson is kind of the, the person who ran, who was in charge of keeping Zach from getting out, then realizes she's in trouble when Zach gets out and goes chasing him and ends up being a love interest for Shia LaBeouf. And she's pretty good in this. John Hawks is, who's a wonderful Texas actor, uh, who is one of the guys, the rednecks hunting down Shia LaBeouf. John Bernthal appears in flashbacks as his in brother. One scene. <laughs> Bruce Dern was, uh, Zach's roommate in, in this, the, I, yeah, I don't even know what you would call it. I guess it's a nursing home. Nursing home, yeah. That's a big part of the beginning. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church, like we said, is great in this. Uh, Yellow Wolf appears in this. There's uh, And everybody is so good. You just, at this end of this movie, you just kind of feel warmed all over. Yeah, this is the kind of family film that I kind of wish that, like, Disney was still making. Like, the, you know what this movie reminds me of is Briggsy, Briggsby Bear. Mm-hmm. You spend the entire movie, all the stress comes from going, oh my gosh, what if things go wrong? And what if... You know, he's mean to him, or what if this poor, sweet individual has something bad happen? And for the most part, it doesn't happen. It's just a sweet, endearing movie. I will say, 
my one nitpick is the last 30 seconds of this movie are a little too saccharine. And it, I rolled my eyes a bit, like, in the final little, truly last 30 seconds. But yeah, aside from it, that... I mean, there are moments of real saccharine. There are people who are just never going to like this movie. Right. Like, aside it's just that, not for them. I was with it whole hog. I loved this movie. Plus, I love peanut butter, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, there's not a lot... In the way of bonus features here, unfortunately. And this feels like one of those movies I can totally see in about a year and a half getting a re-release from someone. Because this was really kind of critically adored, even yeah. though everyone kind of talking about the same way we are. This is a perfect movie for what it is. It's not breaking. It's not changing the game. It's not wildly inventive. But you're just going to love it. Well, uh, it, and- it it's, it's that old adage of uh, Ebert. You know, your movie isn't what it's about, it's how it's about it. Yep. And this movie is a endearing love letter to these people, and these actors, every single one hits it out of the park. I will say Bruce Dern is having a comeback. Like, he's starting well, he, to... While he can. Yeah. <laughs> fair. But, like, he, he's just showing up all over the place. I think there was a trailer for two movies with Bruce Dern in them on this disc. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, the guy didn't have that long left. You can tell just looking at him. He's like, I'm going to make being everything I can before that happens. And he's in good stuff, too. Like, he's not doing the the Travolta or the Al Pacino. All these movies he's in are really little, indie, small, beautiful films. It comes a time in almost every actor's career that if they were ever had a point where they were iconic, no matter what they did to fuck up, they're going to get a comeback in their later years. It's happening to Don Johnson right now. Yeah. Where he's got that sort of like, everyone's like, Don Johnson. He was, oh man, I love seeing Don. Everyone's like, well, how many good movies was Don Johnson in before like three years ago? (laughs) None. He wasn't in any, but he was great in his limited role in The Watchmen. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, which I've seen as about as far as you have. So, (laughs) uh, anyway, that is the end of Digital Noise. We will be back very shortly with more with me and John on a epic length sized one. Uh, if you're going to be in, what is it, California? So, yeah, I'll be in San Francisco this San Francisco. week for Dreamforce. And you happen to see Aaron walking around, make sure to come up and say, hey, I'd like to buy you a drink, sir. Uh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> or if you and, need... and if you want to go toe-to-toe about my feelings on American Werewolf in Paris, come at me, bro. You, you do not have my permission to physically attack him, <laughs> although I completely understand the urge to do so. <laughs> <laughs>